Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word, please? We out of the book of John, the 18th chapter. Pilate is facing Jesus. He says, so you're a king? Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Pilate's response, what is truth? Father, I pray your anointing in your presence here of your Holy Spirit. Address our hearts and our minds, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The song you just heard is entitled North. Um, It's by a band called Sleeping at Last. It was something that we played two weeks ago as we talked about vision in the little series we had um, some really or some important, really important things. Um, in that service, uh, in the, this service, and first referenced once in this service, for those of you who are here, three times uh, um, I addressed the teens and 20s in our gathering. I kept coming back to that. That was not planned. It was not in the notes. It was not prepared for. I kept coming back to that. And when I was finished with that service, I, I still feel like there's something that's been left unsaid. Um, part of it was what I felt in that service. Uh, part of it was talking with one of our people, one of our staff who's been deeply immersed in the youth ministry for quite some time now. And she reminded me after the service, the song that we had pulled, uh, North, and we're very strategic in our song selection. Um, f- very strategic about that. It's very important to us. And I recall that song as being one that we had played at the conclusion of our homecoming service um, seven years ago. She reminded me that where we first came across that and became aware of it was because the youth in Axiom had used that for their graduation ceremony a couple of months prior to homecoming. Um, and, and it had been at a particularly uh, difficult time, one of the more, most challenging times that the youth group had faced. And so all that combined together that I felt there was something that needed to be said, and I've struggled with this for two weeks because I know speaking to teens and 20s um, is difficult. It's something that should be approached with a lot of energy and a lot of humor and pretty light. Mm, Not today. Um, I just feel a weight behind it. There'll be some of that maybe, but, you know, I, I was reflecting on my own childhood and you... Think of the, the happiness, the innocence that you may have faced as a kid, but there was also a lot of challenging 
difficult times that I had, at least growing up in the 60s and 70s, especially in Flint. But what, what you face today, guys, you teens and 20s, way beyond anything we had to face. It is far more complex, far more confusing, and in many cases, far more damning. There's an Arizona Christian University, they did a, a survey in their 2023, um, and so some interesting things that came out. A, a, a biblical worldview, a worldview is how you view the world. What is the lens through which, what is the foundation of your, of your expectations, beliefs, or thoughts? And um, it was pointing out in this survey that adult born-again Christians, only 13% of them hold a biblical worldview. We've talked about that, the lack of biblical worldview the majority of adults hold. Um, about 1% of preteens have a biblical worldview. Okay, I'll grant that one because it's still being formed, perhaps. Of young teens, only 36% believe God exists and is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe. Only 36 of young teens. Um, the majority think there are no absolute objective truths or can't apply a biblical worldview to their decisions or actions, the vast majority. Uh, 21% of born-again teens, so teens that are Christians, believe they'll live with God in eternity because of a personal decision to trust Christ, but nearly double that number believe in reincarnation. 25% of parents of preteens uh, relegate to their churches the responsibility of instilling a Christian worldview in their children, which I hope is safe in this church, and I believe is safe in this church, because I know the staff, and I know these elders and these trustees, and we've been very distinct in how we manage things. But generally speaking, only 51% of senior pastors have a biblical worldview. 51% of people that are in the role such as myself, and I personally prefer increasingly the term lead pastor over senior pastor. <laughs> There's some implications that are, I don't like in that. Um, less than 30% of associate pastors hold a consistently biblical worldview. Only 13% of the teaching pastors, the ones who are teaching, 13% hold a biblical worldview. Of youth pastors, only 12% have a consistent biblical world view. That is disturbing. I am extremely appreciative that our student ministries director, John Freeman, and our uh, family life pastor, in, uh, Jeff Brown, hold a 100% deeply biblical worldview. That Mickey, our discipleship pastor, and, and uh, Jake, as our worship leader, and our elders and staffs are solidly rooted in that. But the question that I have for the teens and 20s today is, what is your filter? What is your worldview? What is it that shapes in a world that is full of propaganda and lies, massive confusion and complexity? What is your foundation for determining what truth is? This passage of Scripture we just read um, spells out exactly why Christ came. He says, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth, to speak truth. He says, those that love truth will recognize what I say is true. And Pilate's response is this cynical, what is truth? Like, and this was, you know, centuries before. Nowadays, in a time of deep fake videos and um, all the rest of the things that are being thrown at you, how do you understand what truth is even at all today? Things are incredibly complex, confusing, 
I could start with some of the, the lies that are present here. I mean, in, in John chapter 8, in contrast to Christ, he says, um, talking to a group of people who are rejecting his message, you are the children of your father, the devil. Anyone who thinks that Jesus was real just nice and sweet, I mean, that's pretty harsh. You know, you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. In other words, he's the OG. He's the original liar. He goes way back with him. He's the one who started the whole thing. There's a guy named Dr. Peter Kreft. He was giving a speech to a commencement to a bunch of college students graduating. And it's a humorous speech. It's really great. I'm not going to do justice to what he says here. But he's giving the 10 lies of contemporary culture. And I'm not going to do that. I just want to grab one part. He begins by saying, I think most commencement addresses were inspired by the inventor of advertising, which is the world's oldest profession, he says. The same one that was invented in the Garden of Eden by a shapeshifter with many names, some of which are Beelzebub, Mephistopheles, Asteroth, Baal, Satan. The first product, he says, of his advertising was an apple. An icon uh, of that product with a bite taken out of it is proudly displayed on many of his products today. Does he just, I've got an Apple phone, okay? You know, I've got a Mac at home. But I do find that fascinating. (laughs) So Kreft is saying that. He goes on and says, the word advertising itself is an advertisement. It is a weasel word. It's a euphemism for lying. For no man-made product could ever be successfully sold to this ship of fools by simply telling the truth, he says. You are overloaded with data, you have more computing ability in the phone in your pocket than, than the Apollo 13 spacecraft had. Same question applies. What is truth and how do we sort that out? We could talk about some of the lies and I think things have been made overly complex for you and Jesus was good at, at, at removing complexity, simplifying it and getting right to the core of what was true. When it came to... Um, the law of Moses, for example, the Old Testament and all the law and everything was part of the Old Testament. Not only did you have all those that were written, but you had stacks of books of commentaries that had been written to try to explain and define and, and expand on what that was. And he cuts through all that when he's asked about the law. And he says, the law is simple. It's really two things. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love others as you would want yourself to be loved. And and if you're really honest, that means that you're not affirmed all the time. That means someone who loves you challenges you also on the things that aren't going on well, that aren't good. He cuts through all that and simplifies it down to two. And so I could could come to that and address some of the lies, some of the things that have been made incredibly complex for you and confusing today. I could start by saying that, that, that if you are a biological boy, then you are a boy. There's no confusion on that. You weren't in the wrong body or made wrong. You, you, you are a boy. You may be a more sensitive, um, less masculine than the stereotype, but you're a boy. And if you're a girl with the biological aspects and DNA of a girl, then you are a girl. Don't get confused. Don't get distracted or lied about that. You may be more tomboy than, than tea parties, but you're a girl. I can start with that. And if I do that, then you're going to make the whole focus about that. And you're going to reject what's being said because it's, 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 it's right off hand. You've been propagandized and, con- and confused and it'll draw this conversation off. So we're I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I could talk about love. I could talk about how you've been confused and lied to in regards to love. That love is affirmation. It's acceptance. It's, it's, that's what it is. It's love. It's acceptance. And, and, and it, it's nothing 
but that. It's just always saying warm, fuzzy things, but that wouldn't be true. See, truth and love are inextricably tied together. Put simply, love doesn't lie. It doesn't tell me something I'm not just because I want to hear that or because it would make it easier for me. Love challenges who I am. It tells me the truth even when it means a risk of the relationship or that it could cause me pain because it's often in pain is when we change. There's a quote I've been hanging on to for a while. I've, I keep coming back to it. It's Arthur Brene Brown on the nature of love. She's an author that deals with love but also a shame researcher on what causes shame for us. She talked recently about coming back to the church after years away and the moment that she puts it, the whole Jesus thing finally clicked. And she said this. She says, people would want love to be unicorns and rainbows. So then you send Jesus and people say, oh my God, love is hard. Love is sacrifice. Love is trouble. Love is rebellious. As Leonard Cohen sings, love is not a victory mark, march. It's a broken hallelujah. Love isn't hearts and bows. It is very controversial. In order for forgiveness to really happen, something has to die. Whether it's your expectations of a person or your idea about who you are, there has to be a death for forgiveness to happen. In all of these faith communities where forgiveness is easy and love is easy, she writes, there's not enough blood on the floor to make sense of that. All of a sudden it becomes clear why Christians take forgiveness to heart. The blood on the floor is Christ's own. So we could begin with that and talking about what love is and, 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 and that whole point of lies and all, but, but that's again a distraction from what the most important thing is. You're in this whole discussion of what is truth in the midst of all these complexities and confusions that chase around you and the peer pressure, the anxiety, the confusion, he is messing with you, Satan, this father of lies. He wants to confuse you and leave you in a place where you ultimately won't know who you are, let alone who God is or his plans for you. We're told from, from sociology and psychology that you don't fully develop until you're 25 years old. And for a number of people I've encountered in my life, I would expand that to roughly 65 or 66 <laughs> or 67. What that means is you're trying to process a world around you when you haven't even formed who you are yet in many regards. And that's part of the exciting challenge that you live out along with the stress of what comes with it. You're told another lie, that there is no objective truth, that there is no absolute truth, that, that absolute truth does not exist. And how do you know that? We, we know that absolutely. And we don't see the ridiculousness of that argument. There is no absolute truth, and I absolutely know that. The contradiction involved? The reality and the truth of the matter is there is objective truth. There is absolute truth. There are laws and, and truth that you can't ignore or deny only at your own threat. If I take this, for example, this, this lightweight Kleenex and, and I simply place it here, it 
Why is it doing that? I, it, it's light. It's small. It should stay exactly where I put it. I feel it should stay exactly where I put it. I want it to stay exactly where I put it. Why didn't it do it? Because there's a law called gravity. It is an absolute truth on this planet. It exists. If you ever want to test it, step off of a building. <laughs> and despite all your feelings and thoughts and hopes and dreams, you will, for one brief moment, understand truth. I can say the same thing about fire. I love fire. I find it fascinating. And I know all my friends who are firefighters hate when I talk like this. But, but I, it's beautiful. And I, I feel like I should be able to pick it up and, and shape something lovely with the orange and red. And every time I've tried to do that, despite my feelings, my thoughts, and my hopes, and my dreams, I get burned. Why? Because there's a truth about that that doesn't change. But there's a father of lies that is trying to confuse you, deceive you, and distract you, and destroy you. Jesus doesn't only want to come and testify the truth. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's another lie. Anyone can come to God. There's all these different paths. Why do we know Christian? Because Jesus sits here and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. Even the world says Jesus was a good guy. He was a good teacher. Well, not if he's saying stuff like this. He's not good. We're left with what one writer said. He's either a liar or he's a lunatic or we're left with the possibility and probability and the reality that he's the Lord, that he's actually God and there is only one way to God and it's through him. There's a lot of things that at one time we knew absolutely in our science and otherwise was true. We knew without a doubt that the world was flat. And now there are still some people who are coming back to that belief system, believe it or not. I, I just find that bizarre. But we knew at one time that it was flat. There was a point in time when cocaine was legal. It was across the counter, used as a cold medicine. It was actually one of the, the elements of Coca-Cola. Why do you think the original advertising was have a Coke and a smile? Cocaine was legal, and then we realized, wait a minute, cocaine's highly addictive. It's a problem. We can't be doing this. Surgeons used to not wash their hands before delivering babies or before doing surgery. They didn't see any need for it. It was thought to be ridiculous, foolish. And then we began to realize that people were dying over it. Cigarettes. Cigarettes were cool, man. I mean... You had doctors that were endorsing cigarettes. Now we know that it kills people. There are those things that are truths that we find out weren't true at all. And then there's bedrock, foundational, established truths. And as much as we want to run from them, as much as we want to hide from them, as much as they are disturbing to us, there's a former Maryland... Uh, poet laureate, Lucille Clifton. She wrote a poem. She pictures herself um, trying to keep her eyes closed, ignoring the truth. But then she finishes the poem with a voice telling her, quote, you might as well answer the door, my child. The truth is furiously knocking. And she can't ignore it any longer. Truth is the roadmap 
for negotiating the difficult challenges of life. Without it, we get lost and we develop emotional problems that tell us we're lost. We often settle for a half-truth or no truth at all because they're usually easier. But truth is the only road, hear this, truth is the only road to emotional health. There is no other pathway to emotional health. Most of our issues are caused by pushing such things away, by refusing to accept it. Meanwhile, God comes along in the person of Christ and he wants to talk about the truth. He wants to heal those things in your past. He wants to restore and take you on this incredible journey. And I'm reminded of a favorite poem of mine. It was loosely based on footprints in the sand. So let me read it to you today. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen, the footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared and I asked the Lord, what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they are too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow, you the walk of faith you would not know, so I got tired, I got fed up, and there I dropped you on your butt. Because in life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb, when one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. (laughs) That one alone is worth the price of admission for you today. (laughs) He wants us to engage. I've said for years, back when I was youth pastor and recent times too, there's only three decisions you have to get right in life and the order matters. One, what are you going to do with God? Two, who, if you are going to marry, who are you going to marry? And the third thing is, what is your calling? What are you going to do uh, for a profession with your life? And I've said the the sequence matters. If you decide first, what are you going to do with God? You embrace him and draw him into your life, then he will help direct you to a spouse if, in fact, you're called to marry. And then that spouse will tell you what to do for the rest of your life. (laughs) And I joke about that, but those things I really do think are, are true. Um, but the real question is the very first one. What are you going to do about God? In this confused, distorted reality that we all live in, we're told in Luke chapter 19 that the Son of Man, or Jesus, not just for truth, but he came to seek and save those who are lost, those of us who are confused and wandering. He tells us in, in John 8, 31, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. It's not by works, it's by faith, but once we're by faith, then it's by his teachings, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free, free from the confusion in regards to issues like gender or marriage or identity, free from confusions of all the various lies and things that come into play. He'll make you free, particularly, I would say, from the anxieties. This is the most anxious generation that has ever lived. And I understand some why of that. One of the reasons I never wanted to be in ministry, there's many, but one of them is I'm an introvert by nature. I, I don't like attention, and I don't like um, people who I don't know knowing me. And in ministry, that happens too often. 
and people comment on you and they'll make judgments or they'll make statements on things like I've even said here today. And it always it's not great to have that kind of commentary and running statements on your life. I think the worst though is when people don't know me and I don't know who doesn't know me. And I mean that they know me and I, I don't know who they are. Like I was driving down 16 mile of the church here one time. I had my son with me. We were in a conversation and I, I crept over the speed limit by about five miles per hour. A police officer pulls me over, comes up, do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, yes. So I was talking to my son. I wasn't paying attention. I think I probably went over the limit. He said, yep. Comes back a minute or two later. He says, aren't you the pastor at Rock Point Community Church? <laughs> I'm like, well, yes, I am. That was a beautiful moment I cherish. <laughs> this is, the next story is absolutely true. My mother lives in Hawaii. I was visiting her one time. We stay on their floor for the most part and on our couches in this one bedroom condo for a week or so. And then we usually try and take three days or so at a hotel before we leave so we have a little quiet rest. So we just started the last three days of this time. We'd gone to the hotel, just gone down to the beach. The guys had run off into the water and all of a sudden I'm just standing there processing, trying to get my mind into going back home. When a young man swam up to me and said, Aren't you the pastor at Rock Point Community Church? <laughs> now, I'm not even famous, guys. I'm not a celebrity. I'm not, and I knew the guy. He'd attended here, and he was there, and we talked, and he was all excited to see me, and then he realized he was there with his girlfriend in a single room, and the conversation shifted quickly then. <laughs> I don't like that. I don't like that type of attention. I don't like being rated. And... Um, and one of my sons said this to me this last year or so. He says, you know how you hate that, how much you've said that is not what you like? He says, do you understand that that's what we have in our whole lives, that social media is nothing but a constant rating, conversation, review, analysis? Do you realize the pressure that puts on us as young people? I said, I had no clue. You're, you, man, that is 10 times. He says, you hate that. This is our whole life. You guys face this in a way that I can't even begin to imagine. And so Philippians chapter 4, when it says, don't be anxious about everything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, thanksgiving, present your request to God. The peace of God's going to transcend. Guard your hearts. It's like, what are you saying? It says, part of getting over anxiety is seeking God in prayer. It doesn't mean your prayer's going to answer, but when you align yourself with God, when you, when you stop and just pray, when you seek Him, there's something that changes in your own spirit that settles. It says there's a peace that comes into play. It doesn't mean that, 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 we, that we don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that he doesn't see those mistakes. One of our, our staff has a, a shirt on that, that she's wearing today that caught my eye earlier. And it was a quote from Thomas Edison. It says, I haven't failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that don't work. <laughs> God sees our failures. He sees our mistakes. But he still embraces us all the same. And he can use those to shape us. And for those of you who are sitting here saying, wow, this is so great that he's talking to these teens and 20s, really, you think that's what this conversation's about? Wow. Yeah. It's directed mostly there, but, but this is targeting you guys too. Because the things of our childhood still have a hold on us today. They influence us. Simple mistakes we made, simple moments. I grew up the first 10 years of my life in Lansing. My father was very respected we had a, a thriving church. We lived in a parsonage that was on the property of the church. And um, they would have on Sunday mornings in one of their Sunday school classes, they would have donuts like would be there, you know. Well, I, I happen to know that 
um, there was a window in the church that I could crawl through with my size and get into the church without having to go through bother things like unlocking doors and stuff like that. And so Monday morning, I would slip over and, and slip through this window of the church, go in the basement, and almost all the time, there were leftover donuts in a box. Now, these are day-old donuts that nobody picked up to take with because they're day-old donuts. They'd be thrown out. But to me, they were a treasure. And so periodically, I'd slip in on a Monday, and I would steal and consume these donuts. I'm confessing to you my life of crime. Okay. <laughs> Police will be here afterwards to take me out. The donut police, I think they're from Duncan. I don't know. Around the same time period or so, um, my father was removed from the church. We lost our church home. He lost his job, and we lost our home, actual home, all at one time. The reason for that was because the hippies were coming in, the Jesus people were coming in in the 60s, and my father embraced them. But there were those in the church that didn't want those young hippies, these Jesus people in the church. And so because of that, we lost everything we had. That was the truth. Do you know what the 10-year-old boy told himself, though? We lost everything because you stole day-old donuts in the church. It was 20 years before I realized that was banging around in my head and causing me those things. I didn't have to have therapy. It didn't go that deep. But it marked me still. And that was a lie. There are things from our childhood, there are things in our past that mark us. And the way to resolve those is facing the truth and finding that truth. Scripture says don't be anxious. Align yourself with God in prayer. But I want to take you somewhat deeper in just the few minutes we have left. Because the real issue is going to be this. In Isaiah 65, it says, God speaking, I reached out day after day to a people who turn their backs on me, people who make wrong turns, who insist on doing things their own way. He goes on in 65 verses 1 and 2 in the beginning of this, I was ready to respond, but no one asked for help. I was ready to be found, but no one was looking for me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that did not call on my name. They would not call upon me. Isaiah chapter 55 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Jeremiah chapter 29 has to do with Israel returning to, to, from, from exile, but, but there is application still for us. It says, for I know the plans I have for you. I believe this is true for you. Plans to prosper you, the Lord says, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you'll call on me and come to pray to me and I'll listen to you. You'll seek me and call me when you seek me with all your heart. And Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not done yet. Isaiah 65 verse 24 says, before they call, God says, I'm going to answer. While they're still speaking, I will be near. The writer in Psalms says, because he turned his ear to me, I'll call on him as long as I live. Because when I did call on him, he responded to me. I'll call him as long as I live. When I was 16, my um, youth group went on a, we had this uh, 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 music tour we did. Hit all the big stops, New York, L.A. No. Um, Benton Harbor, Saginaw, 
Muskegon. That was a biggie, Muskegon. It was Teen Challenge. It was a bunch of people trying to toss off drugs and, and rehab stuff. And after the service was over, there was, there was a presence of God. I, I just felt him drawing me. It was so distinct, I had to separate from what was going on. I went out to a field that was behind, and I just found myself weeping deeply. I just felt like God's heart of compassion for me, like, like he cared, he knew who I was. I've been raised in the church, but this was different. At the same time, I felt his heartbeat, I felt like for the world, if there was a time I was ever called to ministry, I don't, I'd probably point to this moment, I, I didn't at the time, because I could just feel this compassion for people, and as I've prepared this message that I've processed, last two weeks, I've remembered that, and it's been welling up in me, and I gotta tell you, young people, teens and 20s, my heart bleeds for you guys. You are the brightest, you are the best, you have the energy that, my gosh, we used to have. <laughs> You are being lied to, and you accept these lies so easily at times. And I understand why, I, I know. But what you need to understand and know is that there is a God who loves you so deeply, who knows you so intimately, that whatever mistakes, whatever failings, whatever has happened in the past, he not only knows those, he embraces you still. He has a love that challenges, that has a bite to it at times because it tells us the truth. But it's one you can trust. In a world soaked in lies, confusion, distortions that you have to struggle with just to find a solid foundation when anxieties overwhelm you and control you. What do I say to you? What is the most important thing? What can I offer you this Sunday morning? And it may seem simple, but the most important thing is your relationship with God. That defines everything. This morning, I want to encourage you to call upon the Lord. That's what these passages talk about. A God that's standing here saying, I'm waiting, I'm open. These people that turn their own way, I'm, I'm available, I'm there, I am near. And the response to that is to say, I will call. What does it mean to call on the Lord? It means that we drop to our knees and we say, oh God, God, meet me where I'm at. Forgive me of all the sins of all. Tell me the truth. Try to teach me your ways. Instruct me in those things. But I call out in my pain. I call out in my confusion. I call out in my brokenness. I call out in my victory so that I keep humble. But I continue to call out to you, oh God. Now, the music that, that you listen to today drives so much of our lives, and it was the same thing when I was growing up, too. I can tell you lyrics from songs and, and things like that. And the music today overwhelmingly is sexualized, overwhelmingly is on money and material possessions, and that's what's drilling into your brain, and, and you choose what you choose. But I want to offer you a different theme song today. I want to offer you an opportunity, one that I believe that God has prepared, because I didn't reach for this, guys. And that is an opportunity for you to hear a different song. That it could be a theme song for you and that you could maybe today in the service, maybe later tonight when you're at home, 
maybe in a field somewhere, but somewhere today, somewhere today, that you call upon the Lord, that you establish something that will cut through the confusion, the anxiety, and the lies. And it doesn't get easy always, but it does get clearer. And so that, this morning, as we wrap this up, is what I offer you. So Father, I pray that as we come before you this morning, that your Holy Spirit would speak beyond any words I've said. That we move past the haunting melodies of the violin that opened this session that talked about home and, 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 and that commitment and that drawing us in. And that now we take a declarative stance Speak beyond the words today, I pray, Lord. things to say, but they're important. One is I know that um, a lot for your generation, emotion uh, being used in communication is seen as manipulative. I come from a different time period. Um, we were more innocent. We knew that there were times when emotion was offered that actually was because it was deeply genuine. I've tried to be as authentic and genuine as I can be with you today. I'm wearing what I'm wearing today because one, I wanted to be comfortable and authentic with you, but for another reason. This is what I would wear during the week. This is what I wear when I'm talking and hanging out with friends. Um, but there's another reason why. I'm a Lions fan. <laughs> I have been a Lions fan all my life. The Lions win, the Lions lose. And they lose, and they lose, and they lose, and they lose. <laughs> But win or lose, they're my team. A lot of young players on this new team coming up, and I think really they could be in the Super Bowl next year. I never thought I'd say that. I think they could have won this one personally this year. But regardless of that, what I want to be clear to you is this. You're our team. Win or lose, we stand with you. We love you deeply. We care for you immensely. 
I want to leave you with something. When I spoke with you a ways back as a group, I referenced one of my favorite passages, which is Isaiah 42. A bruised reed he'll not break, and a smoldering wick he'll not snuff out. And faith in us he'll bring forth justice. And the idea that wherever you're at, God's going to store But here I'm going to give you my life passage. This is the one probably that I've stood on more than any other passage, and I give it to you because I think this one has guts to it. And if you're really going to call upon the Lord, you're going to need it. But it's also a promise. It's in 2 Corinthians. We read it a couple weeks ago. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but we're not in despair. Persecuted, that's going to happen when you break through lies and speak truth. But never abandoned. Struck down, even. But not destroyed. The promises in that passage have sustained me through much and I offer it to you today. Father, I pray that as there are those of us, teens and 20s, 60s and 70s and everything else in between, Lord, that that call upon you, that you would be near, that you'd establish yourself in their lives, that you'd cut through the lies and deception, teach us your truth and let us stand upon it. And let the words of this scripture in 2 Corinthians be true, I pray. We commit all these things in this particular group of young people I commit into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen.